Well, it's a short series this January, just uh, four weeks of thinking about the subject of how do we strengthen ourselves or feed ourselves as children of God, as followers of Jesus? How do we grow in our relationship with God? God is not distant. God wants to be known by us, uh, wants to be close to us, offers a relationship with him. That's proximity and intimacy of the God of all creation. And that there is a responsibility on us to deepen and grow in that relationship as well as a desire from God that that would happen. And in the first two weeks of this short series, we've spoken about the fact that the Bible, the Word of God, reveals God to us, but also it's a place of encountering God. There's something about the Scriptures through the work of the Holy Spirit that the Word comes alive. And not only do we have God revealed there, but we encounter God in that place. The scriptures. And then last week we thought about prayer as also a place of encounter with God. That place where we not just, it's not just a place where we talk to God, but where we meet God, we hear from God, we give God space to do in our lives what we cannot do for ourselves. And today I want us to think about reflection. Reflection, that is that one of the disciplines or one of the practices that we need to apply in our own life is to be willing to reflect on our life with God, our life with Jesus, and allow God and even ask God to show us the bits that need to change. Because a large part of the journey of faith with Jesus is about transformation, being changed by God, being changed by Christ into all that God created us to be, transformation. And often the way that we do that is with questions, asking questions of ourselves, asking God to ask us questions about ourselves. And there's questions all over the scripture, but those moments where we pause and say, Lord, is there anything that you need to show me that needs to change? That's a good question to ask. Or in my own life, that I get before God and I think, Ian, where are the ways in which you're living contrary to what God would say? And that's why the Word of God is so important. So we have somewhere to go to say, this is how God invites us to live. Ah, well, I'm kind of living over here. Lord, help me to become like this. And so today we're going to think about reflection and transformation with God. Reflection in our lives and transformation in our lives. And I want to begin with a story about a conversation a letter, and a song. A conversation, a letter, and a song. Uh, when there were a little boy and a little girl, there were these two, uh, two people who met one another, and they became friends, a little girl and a little boy. They grew up together from a young age, and they and their friends became family. They spent a lot of time talking with each other, playing games, um, going on trips, in and out of each other's house. Of course, as time went on, as they began to grow up a little bit, they began to find their own interests. But as they talked, they would wonder what it would be like if when they were older, they were to get married, and who would they marry, and would they marry each other? And a conversation emerged about marriage. Would they ever marry together? Well, time went on, and they began to grow up. They found their own pathways, their own directions. And the young boy grew into a teenager, 
into a young man and he found his own path and, and disappeared off. His path was difficult. There were things that he was involved in that took him away from what was familiar, what was home, what was normal, what, what was really the goodness of life. And he found himself a little bit like the prodigal son, separated from home and separated from God and separated from that which was safe. But there were events that happened in his life. There was loss. There was tragedy. And as these things began to take hold of him, he found his way back home again. When he found his way back home again, he again found the little girl, now grown up, who he had spent time with when he was younger. And they started their conversation all over again. Well, there was one day when the two of them were together and there was a crowd of people who were there. And the now young man noticed that there was something, a little bit of paper, just popping out of the pocket of her jacket. Well, he wondered what that was. So he, he took the little bit of paper and he opened it up to discover a letter. And in this letter, it was a very short letter, this teenage girl was expressing her undying love for the young man. Result, he thought. And fortified by the truth of the letter and certain that this must be true, he decided that it was maybe time to have another conversation. And so he spoke with the young lady and the two of them became boyfriend and girlfriend. A conversation and a letter. Well, they grew closer together. In the first year of their togetherness, the young man was unwell. He fell poorly. But there she was, always willing to be present whenever was needed, to express her care, make sure he was all right. And then after that difficult time, she went off for a few weeks, a summer, and she left him a song. And the song was this. Promise me you'll wait for me because I'll be saving all my love for you and I will be home soon. Promise me you'll wait for me. I need to know you feel the same way too. And I'll be home. And I'll be home soon. And she came home. And when she came home, they grew closer together. And life was changed. And they got married. And they still are today. And she's my wife. <laughs> and I'm her husband. So pray for her. A life changed by a conversation, a letter, and a song that established a relationship that would change both of our lives forever. I want to draw our attention to a conversation, a letter, and a song 
in the scriptures that I think help us in our relationship with God and how we allow ourselves to reflect on our life and allow transformation and change to come in this wonderful relationship with Jesus. Jesus is walking with his disciples. Uh, the scriptures often say that Jesus was on the way with his disciples somewhere, in this case, between villages in Caesarea Philippi. And as he's on the way, they're always talking, they're always having conversations. It's a relational picture of God with his people. And Jesus asks them a question and he says to them, who do people say I am? That's a really important question for everyone to answer. Who do you say Jesus is? Jesus, the great question asker, turns to his disciples and says, who do people say I am? Jesus asks 307 questions. That's a lot of questions that Jesus asks. Interestingly, he answers of the 183 that he's asked, he really only answers three. He most often answers with a question, inviting the other to reflect on what do they think? What do they believe? What do they feel? What do they need to do? Where are they on this journey of faith? Where are they going? And so Jesus puts back the question, puts the question to him, who do people say I am? And the disciples answer, well, well some say you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Some others say you're a prophet. These were typically good answers. They, they made sense. They, they were true in part, but not in whole. And so Jesus presses into the disciples even deeper, and he says, but who do you say I am? That's a fundamental question that every human being needs to answer. Jesus makes some wonderful, bold claims about who he is. Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah. Jesus, the Son of God. God himself come down to earth. Claims about him bringing forgiveness and healing and life and eternal life and life to the full. Who do you say Jesus is? The Savior of all. Well, as Jesus presses in on this fundamental question, what do we believe? What do we think? It's a question that impacts how you live because who you see Jesus is has the potential to change everything in the way you live. Well, Peter answers, you are the Messiah. In, in Matthew's gospel, when he captures this record of the conversation between Jesus and his disciples. Matthew says that Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It's a confession of faith. It's what Peter had come to realize. That Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the Savior, the son of the living God. And it was a confession that would change everything about Peter and his relationship with God, his relationship with Jesus. It was a recognition of who Jesus was, a confession of faith that would transform him for the rest of his life. But the conversation isn't finished. Jesus goes on to tell his disciples in this conversation and to tell Peter that he's about to suffer, that he'll face persecution, that he'll suffer and die. Well, well Peter's confused and he rebukes Jesus. Jesus, you, you, you can't say that. 
And Jesus has to turn to Peter and rebuke Peter. Peter says, this can't possibly be, but Jesus responds, and it's quite firm. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And so for all the revelation that that Peter had about this Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, he still had more to learn. There was still more that Jesus needed to do and wanted to do in his life for his good. Peter has more learning to do, but the conversation's not finished. And I want to pick up the story now in Mark chapter 8 as this conversation unfolds, as Jesus then now gathering a crowd uh, says this. Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to 37. Then he called the crowds to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul. Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Peter has more to learn. There are more questions, more questions that Jesus raises. You see, Jesus is not just Messiah, he's God and he's Lord. And with Peter's confession of Jesus as Messiah, Jesus also says, well, I understand, Peter, I'm here to save. But I'm also here to lead. I'm also here to lead. And that means that if you're truly to follow, you're going to have to give up your life to take on a new life. Because I want to be Lord as well as Savior. It will be for your good. But you'll need to lay life down so you can pick up the new life that I have for you. And he asks more questions. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, the ways of the world, the things of the world, yet lose their soul? More questions. And that this Lord, this Jesus, is a Lord like no other. A Lord who comes to bring good. He's a Lord who is for our good, for all good, not just his good. A Lord who gives up his life for his people. Typically, when we think of that picture of a Lord, we we think of, of, of power and control, and there is in Jesus authority and power. But it's an invitation that he gives to accept him both as Savior and as Lord, to give up this life, For the life that follows the one who made us. A life of change and transformation into all the good that God intended for us. A Lord like no other who gives up his life out of love for his people. For me, for you, for all humanity. But nonetheless, he's Lord. One to be followed to be obeyed. And so friends, in this journey of faith, 
We're called to make a choice to deny ourselves and follow him, to give up our ways, our rights, our demands, and to follow and pick up what Jesus says, what he has for us, his ways. What a conversation. You know, the danger for us, as for the early disciples, is that we are content with Jesus as Messiah, but are unwilling to walk the way of true discipleship and follow him as Lord. We are happy to receive all the benefits of salvation, of the cross, of Jesus giving up his life for us, of his love for us. We're happy to receive the benefits of that I'm saved. But when Jesus invites us to follow him, he invites us to follow him also as Lord, to give up ourselves to follow him. Now, not give up on yourself, but just give up yourself to him. That's the way of true discipleship. Following Jesus is meant to be life change, transformation, becoming like the one we follow. Let's be honest. Um, as as we think about the perspective of the world on the church, most often what we hear is we really like Jesus. We're not sure about your ch his church. We really like Jesus, but we're not sure about his church. And what this invitation is for Jesus is come follow me into this life transformation so that you can become more like me. There's a beauty about Jesus that draws people. And there's a way about Jesus that brings its own holy transformation. And he's saying, come follow me. And as you follow me, watch how transformation takes place in your life and through your life. Jesus in this conversation and in many conversations, as he walks on the way of discipleship with his disciples, he asks all kinds of questions. And the questions of Jesus caused the disciples to stop and think and reflect, where am I on this journey? What am I really believing? How am I really living? How am I walking with him? How can God, how can this Jesus bring transformation into my own life? What needs to change Jesus in me? And Jesus gave them questions. And they had questions themselves. So they could reflect. So they could grow deeper with Jesus as he walks with them. A conversation with all kinds of questions that would lead people to know what needed to be transformed in their lives. Then a letter. Let's go to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Words are on the screen. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Rome, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That's, that's a similar way of saying, deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, 
his good, pleasing, and perfect will. A letter. And this is an incredible letter. The book of Romans is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. And when you get to first, uh, chapter 12 of this in the first verse, notice what it says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, whatever he's about to see, it's in response to the mercy of God. Now, if you've read the book of Romans, and it's, it's not a necessarily an easy book to read and understand, but once once you begin to get a handle on it, it's amazing. And the first 11 chapters are incredible. And what are the first 11 chapters of Romans? They're all about the mercy of God. It's the flow of the letter. By the time Paul has got to chapter 12 where he's saying this, he has done an expose on the mercy of God, the love and grace of God. Now, I'll try and do this as quickly as I possibly can. Chapter 1. Some of you are thinking I'm ready for sleeping already if he's going to through all 11 chapters. Chapter 1 and 2. The sadness of humanity's rebellion against God, our creator, the one who made us and sees us and loves us. The sadness of humanity's rebellion against him in spite of all the abundance that he'd given them and continued to give them in his creation, in himself. And then the loss and the painful consequences when humanity turns away from God. But yet God still gives generously. Then chapter 3, that that reminder before anyone gets too confident that we're all in the same boat. (laughs) We've all fallen short. We've all rebelled against God. We've all sinned. We've all done stuff that's wrong. Emma, Emma mentioned that at the beginning. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But in Jesus, in in chapter 3, the beginning of the good news, that God hasn't stayed away from us, but even in our mess and our loss and in the consequences of our rebellion, what does God do? He takes the first step towards us, the mercy of God. That's what God does. God is always taking the first step towards us whatever the consequences of our rebellion of against him or neglect of him. And so in chapter 3, we have the beginning of the good news. Grace and love lead to Jesus coming and to the cross of Christ, him giving up his life that we might have life, him taking our sin that we might be forgiven, him taking our sorrow so that we might receive hope. In chapter 3, it's the good news of the grace and mercy of God that leads to the cross of Christ, that deals with our separation from God and the sin that easily entangles our lives. Then chapters 4 and 5, 5 builds on chapter 3, that we now stand in Christ in a right relationship with God. It comes through faith in Jesus. It's, It's not anything we can do. Thank God. I'm rubbish at things. I certainly can't work out how to get my way back to God. It's faith in Christ. That's what puts us in new standing with God. Faith in Christ through grace. This salvation is a gift from God, not our own doing. That means it's for everyone. It brings peace and hope, forgiveness in reconciliation. And in the closing verse of chapter 5, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. 
you know, sometimes we, we, there was a girl in our old church that who people, when anybody ever said to, said to her, oh, you Christians are just brainwashers, her response was, do you not think your brain needs a good wash? Which I always thought was a pretty decent response. But in our minds, the way we think, what we believe, impacts the way we live. Our thoughts, how we think. And some of us are in the pattern or maybe in the thinking that because of something we've done, somehow we've messed up so badly with God, there's nowhere back. I want you to hear these words. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And some of us need that transformation of thought, of thinking, of belief, so that we can follow Jesus the way he wants us to. That's chapter 4 and 5. Chapter 6 and 7 is an honest argument about the reality and the struggle that we have with sin in our lives and how we do what we shouldn't do and we don't want to do and we don't do the things we should do and we ought to do and we want to do. But we're not hopeless. Although that's the wrestle and the struggle, we're not left on our own. We're not hopeless because... Jesus has broken the power of sin. He's broken sin's power. He's rescued us from sin and death. And when we're struggling and we go to him, he will enable us in this struggle and wrestle. For he has broken the power of sin in the cross and in the resurrection. We no longer need to resign ourselves to a life of sin that leads to brokenness and sorrow. For Christ has broken its power. He's rescued us from sin and death. Chapter 8 begins, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. All those pictures of God looking over, finger pointing. (laughs) that's, That's not the picture of God that we know. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And some of us need our minds renewed there. If there is a word of condemnation that you're feeling about the way you're, you're living and it's, and, and it's taking you under, that's a different voice. When God comes to us and says that some things need to change, that's called conviction. That's a different thing. Conviction is... It is God's way of enlightening or illuminating something in our lives that he will work alongside us and help us to change. Condemnation is the voice of others or the enemy of God. That's his voice trying to pull you under. Make you feel condemned so he can weigh you down. That's not the voice of God. So chapter 8 is a great... After all this argument about struggling with sin and all of that, he says, now remember, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he spills into the beauty and the power of life in the Spirit, the way the Spirit then enables us to live that life in freedom where sin no longer has its hold on us, but we walk with the life and power of the Spirit. No matter how difficult life is or what comes against us, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. 
wonderful. Then chapters 9, and 11, 9 through 11 celebrates the God of mercy and the God of second chances. The one who sorrows when his people go their own way, but whose faithful, loyal love remains as over and over again he calls them back to return to him. Wow. What a story of God's mercy. Eleven chapters just heralding and celebrating and reminding of God's mercy and grace and love lavished over the, the centuries, the generations of God's love celebrated in 11 chapters. And then Paul says, come on. Why would you not want to offer yourselves to God in every way? Look at what he's like. Look at what he does. But when, when you want to follow that God and deny yourself and get after him and let him be both Lord as well as Savior in view of God's mercy. You know, sometimes when we get into conversations about discipleship, we get into conversations about we've got to reflect on our life and examine our life, and we do. And we, we need to think of what needs to change. That, that, that it can begin to sound a little bit like rules and regulations all over again, but it's not. It's a response to the mercy of God. Why would I not want my life to be transformed by the power of Christ and the Spirit, the merciful God, who knows what's best for me, for you, for all? Earth following Jesus as Lord as well as accepting him as Savior is not an enforcement of God's power on us, but a response to his love and his mercy and his grace. And so Paul says in this beautiful letter, offer yourselves therefore as living sacrifices. Like Jesus called to his disciples, submit yourselves to the one who knows best and brings transformation, Messiah and Lord. And Paul said, this is true and proper worship. Real worship, I mean, we worship in all kinds of ways. I mean, we, we sing songs of worship. They're, they're an expression of our love for God, but worship at, his, at the heart is our abandoning ourselves to God. You are God and we are not. And therefore, I'll trust you. I'll trust you with all of my life. I'll follow you. I'll follow you with all of my life. That trust in God. Worship is rooted in submission and offering ourselves in every way, in every situation, in every place to God. And here's what Paul goes on to say. That blesses God. It is holy and pleasing to God. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Imagine that, you get the chance to bless God as he seeks to bless you. That's your true and proper worship. When we want to understand worship like that, it, it touches everything that we do. Every part of life becomes changed. And in doing so, we discover and begin to live God's good, pleasing, and perfect will 
Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed in the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I want to live God's good, pleasing, and perfect will because the world's way is broken. And we're all discovering that. We need another way. And God's way is good, pleasing, and perfect. You, you can't beat it. You can't improve on it. And in response to all that God has done, we respond by offering ourselves to him. And as we do, he brings transformation to our lives that is aligned with his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Growing in our life with Jesus means change. As we submit ourselves to the Lordship of Christ, more of Christ, less of me. Or as Jesus said, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Walk in my footsteps with me. Become like me. Let me walk with you and bring godly transformation in the way God intends. And there's a responsibility on our part in this journey of growth in this feeding ourselves. And if we were to put this in terms of physical health, we would say there are some things we need to stop and some things we need to start. And we do it with God. In our life, there are some things we need to stop and there are some things that we need to start. And Jesus wants to show us what they are and we need to then take responsibility for looking and examining our lives and reflecting on our lives and saying, Lord, what are the things that have to go and what are the things that have to start? That I have to at times examine myself and say, Ian, that's not been great today, has it? What needs to go? What needs to be given to God? What needs to be received from God? Reflection, asking the questions of myself and allowing, inviting God to asking questions of me. Even asking, allowing others to ask questions taking responsibility for my growth and my relationship with Jesus. There's responsibility on our part. And there's two unhealthy extremes that we need to avoid if we're serious about following Jesus. The first is this, that our relationship with God and our journey of transformation, of godly transformation, it's all my responsibility. That's the first unhealthy extreme. It's my responsibility. I just need to work harder and go harder and do harder and, and, and think more clearly. And, and we put all the pressure on ourselves. That will exhaust you. It will lead you to despair, to discouragement, and you'll feel as if you're just always failing. If you go to the extreme of it's only all my responsibility, you'll shoot yourself in the foot and you'll fall before the first or second hurdle. The other extreme is, well, that's all God's responsibility. If God wants to change me, well, he, you know, he'll do it somehow. And we take ourselves out of the equation. And we take no responsibility. And that can lead to excuses or justifications or disappointment. What, what? I, I, I thought I was promised life and life to the full, but what's God doing? Well, we've not taken our responsibility for our own spiritual life. 
We've, we've delegated it to God. Well, you know, God, I'm, I'm just going to go on with my stuff. If, you, if there's anything you need sorted out, let me sort it out. That's a dangerous prayer to pray, by the way. But we take responsibility and we work with God. It's both and. We cooperate with God. The story of the people of God and God is walking together. Conversation with God. A letter with God. There's a song with God. I'll come to that in a moment. Cooperation with God. His power working and our working. Colossians 1, 28 and 29 says this. Jesus is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's the journey of transformation. To this end, I strenuously contend or work with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Do you see the both end? We work, Christ works. We work together. They're the things that we need to take responsibility for and getting in front of God and reflecting and asking questions of ourselves and allowing God to ask questions of us. But God then works in us also to lead us in the journey of transformation. It's our responsibility with God and God's responsibility with us. His power, His working along with our working. We want to follow Jesus as Lord as well as Savior. We know it involves self-denial. If we're to follow him, we gain life when we give up our life to him. We know about his endless mercy and in view of it, we want to give ourselves to him. We know it's for the best, for our good and indeed for good. We know the pattern of the world is broken but yet it's easy to be squeezed into its mold. So we need God for transformation so that we can follow his way and his will. God works and we work with him in this journey and way of transformation. We need to reflect. We need to look at our lives. We need to examine. We need to have questions to ourselves and questions from Jesus so that we can consider what ways do I need to break with the patterns of this world so that I can follow in the ways and patterns of Jesus? What are the breaks? What needs to go? What needs to come new? God, show me. A conversation that led to deny yourselves, pick up your cross and follow me. Jesus is Lord as well as a Savior. A letter in view of God's mercy. Offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is worship. This is worship. And a song. From Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart, Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's an ancient song. It's a song of invitation. It's a song of someone who's serious about taking responsibility in this walk 
with their God. It's a song for us. God, in view of your mercy, I want to give all of myself to you. So come, search me. Search me. That's the beginning of taking responsibility for our part in all of this, an invitation from God. God, if there's things that are not right within me, come and search me. Illuminate where they are. I want to examine my life so that I can break the patterns with this broken world and step into the ways of life, Jesus, that you have shown us as Savior and now as Lord. Search my heart. You know, the heart can be a complicated place. It can simultaneously carry delight and light and darkness and despair. Lord, search my heart. You know, sometimes I have to search my heart. See what's in there. Ask God to show me so that I can see what needs to change. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. God, what's going on in this head of mine? Not just the heart, but the head. Test me. I want to see what that is. See if there's any offensive way in me. And we, we live in a world that uses and, and is offended all the time. Lord, Lord, what, what am I taking offense at? And am I taking offense at actually things that don't matter? But if there's offensive way in me, show me. I don't want to work and, work, work and live in, in, in offense, being offended. I don't want to be in offense. But lead me in the way everlasting. That's what I want. And so in moments of reflection, this is what I pray. It's a song that has become for me a prayer. A song that I pray to God. And all of these, this conversation, this letter, and this song are all about the deepening of this relationship with God that we're in. That as we draw closer to him, he leads us in a way of transformation that is not just about our own personal transformation, but the transformation of the world and all things. It's important. It's good to stop and examine ourselves. Not to beat ourselves with a big stick but to allow ourselves and God to have illumination. What are the things that have to go and have to change? Friends, I I want you to know that this is a way of hope, not a way of despair. There's power and hope in this place of reflection and transformation. Sure, we have to deal with some rubbish stuff. Tonight, I'm going to be talking, sharing a bit of testimony with the discipleship group this evening about the fact, about an episode for me where in in a moment of of reflection, God simultaneously showed me, Ian, you have a good heart. I was nearly blown over. But he also said, but there are some things in your heart that we need to deal with. But you know what? In dealing with those things in my heart, through repentance and confession and forgiveness, liberated me into a transformed life. This way of examination and reflection, this taking responsibilities for a spiritual life, is not bad news. It is good news. 
because when we find the stuff that needs to change, God's working in us and our working with God will bring about his wonderful, godly transformation in our lives. Worship team, would you come and join us? Father, the whole of the scriptures are you moving towards your creation, to humanity, longing that they would love you in response to your love for them. And Lord, we're in good company when we realize that there are things that are wrong in our life. We're in good company when we examine our heart and we realize that there are things in there that are dark. We're in good company when we realize that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But thanks be to God, it's not the end of the story. Thanks be to God that in Christ and in his death and resurrection and now in the coming of the Holy Spirit, we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come and keeps coming. And that you're inviting us to walk in the way with you in our conversation. That as we read the scripture, it's like a letter of loving transformation and a song that invites us, Lord, would you search us? You know us. Would you search us? And if there's anything that's wrong within us, let us see it so that we can walk in the way everlasting. So we want to say thank you. Thank you for all you've done in our lives and all the more that is yet to come. People of God, be transformed in Christ and the Spirit in response to the great mercy of God over you and for you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.